My Get Up and Go on SAFM. Influential people doing well in their respective fields. Our guest this morning is Professor Paul Dembe. He is a scholar at the Tawambegi African Institute of Leadership and he is an expert and thought leader on Africa-China matters. Prof Dembe, very good morning to you. Good morning and thank you for having me. Prof, let's start this um, feature every morning with asking our guest, what is your get up and go, the daily morning routine that gets you up and going? Well, in this world of interconnectedness, I start my day by catching up on current affairs, both national and internationally. And then I check my job and then I try to write something that might inspire some people along the day. Mm-hmm. So you, you're somebody that loves to get out on the road and do a little bit of road work. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. That so is, that, is, that is good for keeping myself fit. Mm, very, very true and important as well because they say your health is your wealth. Prof, you are a scholar and you write extensively on a number of different issues. But before all of that, let's just take some time and go back into your childhood. Tell us more about where you come from and just some of your early childhood memories. Well, I was born in Mlaz in Devon, actually. Uh, I grew up, I went to Mopelelo Primary School, uh, higher primary school, and uh, that's as far as I remember, because after that, everything was two more years. Around about uh, 1977, then one found himself studying in Switzerland, and then the rest is history. I'm here. Ah, don't skip <laughs> the history part, no ways. <laughs> this is a profile interview, it's about you. Most of the rest is history, then you're saying I must say goodbye, Moz. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no I, I was fortunate, and we are still fortunate as South Africans that are living today, mm. because I grew up at a time when the country, when the country had acute problems. Right. Whereby we had to knock different doors in order to understand knowledge production. That is not one-way stream. Yeah. But there are multiple doors that one has to knock. And especially as it was at those times and as it is today, I always tell my students that you must invent your own game. Yes. Don't just take the game what you find, find in front of you because you're going to lose. Even if you are following the system, you must act and behave as if you're inventing a new game. Mm. And so you'll see multiple openings. Now, uh, Prof, you, you spoke about the fact that you, you left KZN and you went to study in, in Swaziland mostly because of the political climate of the time. Now, Swaziland was not going through um, the apartheid system that we were, but they were, of course, impacted as our neighbors. How did you find Swaziland different from South Africa at that time, especially experiencing it as a young person? Uh, as a young person, uh, I, I will I will get out of the high consciousness palaver. The first thing it's it's a new place, it's a free space, it's open spaces. You are not afraid, you are not running around. So it was good to to start getting education there. But for situations that we all know, the my Switzerland stint did not last long. Mm. It took me only two years before I landed in Mozambique. And of course, when you learn in Mozambique, it's a different language altogether. It's Portuguese. It's Portuguese. Did you, you have to learn yes. Portuguese? You have to learn this new language now, which which is so strange. 
it's it's a, a white man's language, but it sounds like Zulu and written like Zulu. So <laughs> now confusing. you have to say "comstars" and you're like, "Huh? What am I saying?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Now, in terms of your academic work, you've had quite a strong interest in in, in studying, you know, different parts of um, China, uh, you know, Chinese, I would say, history. You've studied quite extensively. You did your PhD in Chinese studies at the Chinese University in, in, in Hong Kong. And it's not very common that an African would leave Africa and go and study, um, you know, something that is completely foreign and have a keen interest in it and tell us more about how you know this came about especially because you had a previous master's degree in Kiswahili studies which you did in Sweden wow you did your research (laughs) yes I did (laughs) (laughs) actually uh, even my studying Kiswahili was like a second chance at life Mm. I've been working on IT for almost 15 years by then yeah uh, but somehow I could see the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift uh, that I saw, it was both conceptually at a psychological level and at a practical level. At a psychological level, I was saying, here I am in Europe working with IT. That is the top of the world. But then I started to question this notion that I have arrived. If you, you think that you have arrived, it means you are there alone. It means you are not contributing. Your knowledge doesn't become public good. Mm. And it was from there that I wanted to question myself more. That's why I went back to school. I studied Kiswahili, which was a Bantu culture, which is a Bantu culture, but totally different from conceptualization that we have in South Africa, and it is not Western. And it was there that uh, I sort of, luckily enough, when you study Kiswahili, you get into a linguistic department which is called Oriental Studies, where it's Swahili, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, all those are bundled together. And that's how I came across Chinese studies. I said, wow, this is similar to our tradition, and yet it is so different. Yeah. yeah. And then at the time also, there was a, at the beginning of the year 2000, there was a hype about China that was coming up. So I studied Chinese. And I went to China simply to do a minor field study for six months. And guess what? You didn't leave. I, I stayed for 12 years. Wow. That's wow. how I ended up doing my PhD in China. Because when you get to China, it clicked with my sense of thinking at the time of this multifacetedness. Because you can't just call yourself a student. You are learning this new culture, you are learning this new language, you are learning the new way in which these people do work. And remember that time, China just managed to to free almost 70 million to 700 million people from poverty. And then you are asking yourself, can this thing happen at home? And in the year 2000, 2002, our democracy was only six to eight years. It was not yet a decade. So subconsciously, one is looking for solutions for South Africa as well. We are not just out there gallivanting. Something in you is saying that, can we copy this? Even when you're in Europe, you're saying, wow, if my people can live peacefully like this. Let me just cite one thing through my experiences in Europe and in Asia. Mm. It's what we call night business or midnight market. 
according to the figures, if we were to have night businesses or midnight markets, that is businesses, all shops open after five and we have midnight markets, that will raise our GDP by three to five percent. That alone. But that then gels to the question of safety. That gels to the question of skills. So those are, I'm just mentioning two minor things that yeah. could change the life of all South Africans. So here I am in China, I'm seeing new life. In China, there's no day, there's no night, there's no Sunday. Even the banks are open on Sunday. Mm. And I said mm. to myself, why do we close banks? So actually, we, South Africa closes on Friday. Nobody works on Friday. We are forced to work on Fridays. Because we are always thinking, we are already thinking about other weekend, so to speak. <laughs> now, um, at, at the risk of you sounding like our finance minister and saying everything in Kigali is great, uh, while in South Africa we are lagging behind, um, let's talk about you know your focus in your studies. You did your focus on ancient and modern Chinese uh, civilization, and you, you mentioned the similarities in our culture. And for our listeners who are not necessarily um, you know familiar with uh, Chinese history. There was a time where, especially around the late 80s, and I stand corrected, uh, early 90s, where there was the Great Chinese Revolution. And um, you had uh, things like the Tananenum Square. You had, you know, all of these revolutions taking place. Politically, how is uh, China similar or different than South Africa? I would like to define the word politically. Yeah. There is a mistake that we all do when we use the word politics. Okay. Politics is an amalgamation or a combination of cultural development, political development, economic development. Mm. When you put all of these things together, then they paint as some sort of a tapestry of what you then call politics. Politics means how things are done to achieve public goods. Now, just there, how things are done to achieve public goods. In South Africa, we tend to follow a specific label at the expense of public goods. We have freedoms today that don't deliver public goods. We have freedoms that point at human rights. So the public is at the expense of the individual. What you find in most developed countries, you find that although it is democracies, you find that the individual is under the public, is under the scrutiny of the public. But now the irony here is South Africa by nature is a community-based society. We have sort of gotten rid of our societal view of individuals. Every individual is free to do as they please. And yet we don't have what we call external controls to control individuals. So it means we've got rights without obligations. Mm. So what China was fighting for, that they had actually even the Tiananmen Square, it didn't start there, it started in the 1960s with the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Yes. China was at war within itself between the rapid development of modernity, in the aspect of modernity, the modernities that they were pursuing tended to clash with their tradition. 
So each and every family, when it has a problem, you close your doors and you solve your problem. South Africa, what it did, on the other hand, we were, we were very fast in saying that people should look good at us without us having cleaned our, our own house. And they, we are suffering from that today. Mm, mm. But not all is dark and gloom. That's what motivates me every morning, actually. Because, we, as I said before, that we, we are living in wonderful times. Whereby, like, one is constantly searching, like, what is it that can make South Africa function as a normal society? What is it that can enable South Africa to deliver final public good? Remember, it's not about the who. It's not about the what. We know the what. The what is better life for all South Africans. It's not about the who, because the who changes every four years, luckily every 10 years. Mm. But it's about the how. How is it that we make life better for South Africans? So that has been my motivation, and that's what makes me get up every morning. Absolutely wonderful. And you've had the opportunity to have so many experiences, learn new languages, travel to new countries, have new experiences. I mean, you are a real globetrotter. You're a global citizen in many ways, uh, Professor Tembe. And let's talk to somebody listening to you right now and saying, you know, Prof, I've always had a desire to do something significant with my life, to go somewhere in life, but I'm still on the journey of self-discovery and I don't yet know where I'm going. In life, how do you encourage somebody that's listening to you today that's still on that search for their purpose in life? First, be true to yourself. Because if you are true to yourself, that will quickly reveal your strong points and your weak points. And then you work on those that you need to harness for the task at hand. Because even your weak points can be a strong point. For example, I, I'm not a rude person, I, I can't just strike a person on the face so to speak. Yeah. So that's my weakness. Now, I know how to harness that weakness in order to avoid trouble. And in avoiding trouble, you immediately find another possibility, another door opens for you. Don't only work on your strong points, because what you regard as a strong point sometimes might be too much for other people. So work on both. Be true to yourself. Work on your strong points. And keep looking for different different ways of doing things. Mm, mm. Make your own game. Look for new ways of doing things. And remember also that when you find a way of doing things, for example, Paul Demba is a professor today. But being a professor is not my goal. I just met it along the way. It is just a means to an end station, and an end station, as I said, maybe is to make life better for South Africa. Because if I say, I've arrived, I'm a professor, it means I'm being complacent. And we all know where complacency leads to. Mm, so do not be complacent. Some very good Don't. words of wisdom that you are sharing with us there. Prof Tembe, are you on social media? Can you share some of your social media handles with us? Well, I've got a website which is uh, www.sele.co.za and uh, my email is sele at uh, sele.co.za. My Twitter handle is at sele underscore in countdown. Thank you so much for joining us. And just to let the listeners know, sele is spelled S-E-L-E dot C-O.
Dodset, an absolute pleasure to chat to you this morning. Ten minutes before five o'clock. Stay with us.